Hi, I'm Melvin McRae, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hi, Dream Chasers. This is Amy J. And thank you so much for tuning in to episode 48 of Chasing Dreams. We're so close to 50. It's crazy. I don't even know how we got this far. And once again, I have a wonderful guest on the show. He's a friend. His name is Melvin McRae. He is president of Media Genesis Solutions, LLC. And he's a man who wears many hats. He's a filmmaker, a journalist, a professor, and a mentor, among many other hats that he wears. Uh, Mr. McRae contributed his technical and editorial skills to World News Tonight with Peter Jennings, World News with Charles Gibson, Nightline, and Peter Jennings Special Reports for 28 years. He's taught broadcast journalism at the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism for the past 12 years and teaches journalism, video journalism, and oral history in an after-school program at the Harlem Renaissance High School in 2012, and his students through his nonprofit program, Digital Media Training Program, won the second annual White House Student Film Festival for the film Mentoring in Harlem. And guys, when you go to the show notes page, you'll see some links to the videos and things that he's done and some of the documentaries uh, he's put together as well as his students. So definitely check that out. Mr. McRae himself has won a number of awards himself, including the American Film Institute's Independent Filmmaker of the Year Award. He's a friend and a very, very busy man. And I'm lucky enough to have caught him between things that he has going on in his car today. So, Mr. McCray, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure being with you. I'm so happy we were able to make it. You have, I've known you now, hmm, 10, 16, 18 years? Wow. That sounds about right. Yeah, when you put something to it, 18 years. And I've always been amazed at what you do. And it's We've, we've, we've kind of been working on planning this, and you know when I, when I have guests on the show, they send me materials and stuff. Um, I got Mr. McCray's stuff at 3 in the morning, I think, this morning. Did you sleep? Uh, more and more sleep. Uh, it's been... Uh, um, there certainly have been times when I have foregone uh, sleep, but it's probably not a good idea. And it's not, but I bring up the point because... That's the kind of person you are. I mean, you've worked at ABC essentially for for many, many, many years. Um, it's about how many years would you say? Twenty eight. Uh, twenty eight years at ABC News. Yes. Yeah. So twenty eight years. You retire, and most people who retire relax, go to the beach, kick up, read books. You, if anything, um, and your family can attest, get busier. Is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. And, and, and the reason is because while at ABC, I had dreams of doing other things. And I was, you know, 
spending some time uh, honing those dreams and honing my skills so that I'd be able to achieve them. So I was, listen, I was chomping at the bit once I retired. I said, okay, now I get to, you know, no holds barred, go out and uh, chase my dream. So uh, that's pretty much what I'm doing. And I'm really having the time of my life. Now, did you necessarily wait until retirement to do that? Did you, I mean, did you put little things here and there that kind of whet the appetite, so to speak, earlier in your life? Not really. I mean, I, I actually did most of the things that you mentioned while working at ABC, uh, uh, trained by time uh, and place. I, but I, you know, I used my vacations uh, wisely and um, was able to, you know, do some travel uh, in connection with some of the projects that I was working on. Uh, but I did teach uh, at Columbia while still at ABC, um, and I still uh, ran my production company while working at ABC. Uh, and you know, I didn't obviously didn't work for another competing network, but uh, certainly um, nonprofits in my community, um, things like um, Princeton University, uh, Pratt Institute. Um, the Society for the Preservation of Weeksville. Now, these, these, are, these, are all, all, these are all things that you enjoy doing. Thoroughly, thoroughly. And, and, and you know, it, it's all sort of linked. Um, the work that I do at ABC is essentially visual storytelling, uh, journalism. And the, when I go out and work, do a project for a nonprofit, I'm telling their story visually. So working with people like Peter Jennings, Robert Crowich, um, Dick Schaap, Deborah Amos, Beth, Beth Nissen, these were all people who are constantly... I really love working with them and uh, having those creative juices flowing, uh, even though it was in oftentimes some very stressful environments. In other words, you had a deadline looming. Uh, you had the pressures of getting everything accurate, uh, the pressure of uh, being very creative so it looks visually stimulating, um, all in an environment where you knew that there were going to be about 15, 16 million people looking at the story that you were working on within seconds or minutes. Uh, and so there was a certain amount of pressure, but the ability to creatively tell stories is a really fascinating um, uh, skill to have and to be able to share it with 15 million people on a regular basis was just a, uh, a, a wonderful opportunity uh, and, you know, one that I missed in a way, uh, although I'm sharing my storytelling skills um, to others on another platform, but definitely not 15 million. But I got to tell you that ABC News doesn't have 15 million viewers anymore either. So <laughs> everything has been uh, truncated uh, quite a bit. It's amazing how things change with time, right? 
Yeah, nothing stays the same. Not at all. But let, let's, speaking of time, let's rewind a little bit. How did you fall into video journalism? Did you always want to be a filmmaker, someone who looked into journalism? No, I actually was really focusing on completing my uh, senior thesis uh, at Princeton. And I, I had never done a project as uh, expansive as that. And I knew there was a lot riding on it. And so I was really focused uh, and maybe too focused because I didn't look for a job. I didn't uh, really uh, have any prospects, uh, you know, after graduation. And it just so happens that one of my roommates had applied for a job on the publishing side at uh, Time Incorporated. And he, he, and he got an offer. <clears throat> and he told me that they were looking for, they had some editorial positions open. And I applied. Um, and the rest is history. I, I worked for four years for Time Incorporated, which was a really incredible um, company to work for. Uh, because they were creating new magazines, they had created this entity called HBO. Um, they, it was a very creative environment, and they were open to ideas, and they wanted you to suggest not only story ideas, but magazine ideas, book ideas. Uh, very collaborative environment. And i got to tell you, this is something that you know, most people don't know. They had a educational uh, policy in which they would reimburse you uh, 100% of job-related courses and 75% of non-job-related courses, as long as at a degree-granting institution. So I totally took advantage of that. Uh, every year that I worked there, uh, every semester, I was taking about five courses. Um, because I said, this is like, you know, being at a candy store. I mean, an educational opportunity, and you just had carte blanche to take anything you want. So I took filmmaking, uh, videography, photography, writing, fiction writing, nonfiction writing, screenplay writing. Um, and it was one of the most creative uh, periods in my life. I mean, and I took them at NYU and at uh, the new school. Uh, university, and these were all uh, courses that were taught by top people uh, in their fields, and I developed a lot of relationships, and um, you know, I, I just really felt like my creative juices were unleashed, and, and I didn't have, I wasn't focusing on a degree, uh, I just wanted to explore my, cre my creative side. It definitely and sounds like you were... Me it sounds like you were just soaking it up while you had the chance. I did for four years. They paid for pretty much everything that I took. And I mean, it was, it was phenomenal, phenomenal experience. Now, if you hadn't had this opportunity, if you hadn't um, fallen into time Inc in the, in the job there, what do you think you would have done? I don't know. See, that's just it. I had no clue. Uh, oh, I do know what I would have done. I applied to law school. 
Wait, uh, what? I got in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I applied to law school. Quiet as it kept. And I deferred, it, uh, you know, admission. And I was going to take a year off and work. I don't really think her had a deep desire uh, to be a lawyer. But it was sort of like one of those group think efforts, you know. So, like, you're in a university that, you know, really um, graduates a lot of bankers, investment bankers, lawyers, uh, doctors, you know, uh, people, diplomats. And these were sort of the things that you go into. So I said, well, you know, of all these things, I think maybe lawyers, being an attorney might be closest to what I'm interested in, but I'm not really sure. But, you know, once I got in the environment uh, of Time Incorporated, uh, I did not want to leave to go to law school. I, mean, I was I was really... Uh, I mean, I met people like uh, Gordon Parks uh, at Life Magazine. I worked for uh, Time Magazine, Life Magazine, People Magazine, and Money Magazine during those four years. I guess I spent the most time at Money Magazine, which is probably a weird fit because I wasn't really, didn't consider myself a, uh, someone who was really all of that focused on money, but uh, that, that's where the opening was and that's where I went. But these were really, uh, I mean, Gordon Parks had a, an enormous influence on me. Um, and when, as I was leaving, um, the uh, Bill Rukeyser, the uh, managing editor of Money Magazine, says, you know, you want to do a lot of things. You really ought to focus on one thing and really, you know, concentrate on that. Otherwise, you're going to spread yourself too thin. And I think the next day I ran into Gordon Parks and we had a conversation. And I told him what uh, Bill had just told me. And he says, they don't listen to that. He says, look. You know, how do you think I became a, a filmmaker uh, while while being a photographer? I studied filmmaking. I com- I composed. I was a writer. I did all of those things. You said wherever your creativity leads you, wherever your wherever your passion leads you, that's where you go. Don't hold back. Don't pigeonhole yourself into one particular career or one particular creative outlet, wherever it leads, that's where you go. So um, I took his advice. I thought it was uh, great advice. I'd say so. uh, I never looked back. I mean, that's amazing advice. And so you went full steam ahead. You you're getting this experience with at ABC, you know, learning and you have the kind of job where, Deadlines are important. Work is high, highly stressful environment. You get out of it. Do you have energy to do anything else? I know a lot of people, you know, they're like, I don't have time to chase my dreams. I'm just exhausted after work. Did you find that to be the case as well? No. You know, I, I think that I have to um, give credit to the fact that I've always been really health conscious. So uh, exercise, diet, meditation, yoga, uh, I've really taken care 
I mean, with the exception of uh, sleep. <laughs> That's the one thing I could have done a lot better on. I, I always had the energy. Um, and I think it's due to the fact that I took care of my body. Um, I'm very, you know, picky about what I eat, you know, pure foods, raw foods, you know, no alcohol, um, no drugs. So you would credit um, all that to the energy level you had, even though you were in what most would say is like a, a, a stressful or, you know, exhausting environment. Well, you know, I think that I knew going in that it was a burnout situation. Hmm. I don't know. I'm trying to think about thinking back how I knew that. Uh, I, I sort of got the lay of the land even before I started working. I guess maybe uh, talking to some uh, network editors even before I became an editor. Uh, I knew that for long hours in cold, dark rooms, with a lot of stress is a prescription for disaster uh, physically. So I knew that I, in order to survive that environment uh, intact, that I would have to really exercise, diet, you know, because I had a very healthy diet. Um, meditation was key. Uh, yoga uh, was was key. I rode my bike, um, played tennis. So all of these things, and I think you know that that really kept me in, in, in a good position. So I had I had an abundance of energy. And I think the other thing that that drives energy is passion. I mean, you know, I've been blessed with you know being very passionate about. A lot of things. Um, I, I encounter people who don't have a passion, and I, I quite—I don't understand it. Um, but so, uh, so during those long hours, or after working at ABC and coming home and when working on my projects at home, um, I had a you know a, another gear to shift into, uh, and and part of it was the fact that I kept my body uh, healthy, but, but another part was the fact that um, essentially um, I, I was really passionate about it. So I said, okay, you know, time to, to go at it, you know. Um, and so I had, I had another gear to shift into. I had, I, had, I had reserves. So even while you were, you know, you have this energy, you have this other Thing you're doing because you, you still had your business you still were working with your your own film company right uh media genesis solution so you still had jobs that you were working on did you ever get tired and think uh not today i'm gonna give myself a break did you allow that uh yes <laughs> <laughs> yes well you know here's the thing i mean you are you know, it's, you're under a situation where, you know, you're working for a corporation uh, and, you know, you're under the gun for the corporation, uh, but you have a little bit 
more leeway when it's your own business. So you can, you know, uh, you can, you can afford to, uh, take breaks. Now, obviously there are deadlines that you have to meet as well, but, um, I think those deadlines are a lot more flexible, um, than the ones that, uh, are corporate, uh, inspired. So, um, yeah. Well, so here's the yeah. thing, right? When you're, when you're doing corporate-inspired work, right, whether it's ABC or, um, you know, NBC or whatever job, if you're working for someone else, usually the job is given to you, right? The story is there that's breaking news. There's always something kind of on the horizon. When you're working for yourself, mm-hmm. right, how do you find the work? How do you get the jobs for you to do, for you to use your passion and share it with the world? Or do you do only your own stuff that you're motivated by? You know, uh, I've been blessed, but I, I haven't, I've never had to advertise. Uh, people have always, you know, come to me with, with projects. And I got to tell you that I um, don't take projects that I don't feel strongly about. In other words, I really have to believe in the project. Um, and interestingly enough, I, I worked on a, um, a feature at ABC called person of the week mm-hmm. and these, these are, and they, they still have it. Um, um, they would, they run on Friday and it's about someone who has done something during the week, uh, that has some kind of humanitarian connection. Uh, they, they the hungry, they housed the homeless, they did something that had some kind of uh, overriding humanitarian uh, flair to it. And I really enjoyed working on those. And I worked on those with Peter Jennings. And I did it for like several years. Um, and the way it would work was that uh, usually on like Wednesday, they get a few candidates of who they might do. And then they make a decision. Uh, and then Thursday we'd start, you know, working on it. Um, and then, you know, it would usually get all done in one day, uh, Friday, uh, which was the main day that we, uh, uh, did all the editing. And, um, those stories did several things. One, they allowed for me to, journalistically, you know, tell a story, uh, which was, which was great, you know, and inform people. But the other part of it was that it allowed for a secondary benefit that when you tell the story of someone doing a humanitarian gesture, uh, something that is, uh, something they're doing something that's not for their own benefit. Uh, it actually inspires other people to do something similar. Uh, it inspires people to want to help out. So what happens is that you get this ripple effect uh, where people are doing these wonderful things and uh, it, just, it just multiplies. You know, they call up the station, they want to donate. Uh, they, you know, they want to start programs like it, you know, in their, in their neighborhoods. So 
And I just got you know, just totally elated by that. I said, oh my God, this is, this is something that I don't feel when I do a regular story. But when I do person of the week, I just feel elated because there's some inherent value to the stories that I'm, that I'm working on. So when I left ABC, I said, well, those are the kind of stories and projects that I want to work on. I want to work on projects that have a humanitarian um, benefit. So, and, and I've been blessed with being, you know, having the ability to, uh, to work on those projects. People have referred me to those kind of projects. Uh, I often seek them out when I hear about them. Um, and those are enormously gratifying because on the one hand, I get off my creative juices. On the other hand, it benefits, you know, humanity. And that's, that's a double whammy. And, and I, and I, you know, after working on one of those stories, I feel like I'm walking on air. <laughs> you know, it's just like uplifting, right? Oh, tremendously uplifting. I mean, and you've done several, uh, you've done some documentar- documentaries. You've worked with a number of groups of people. But speaking of giving back, you've also given to kids, youth. And you're sharing your skills and the knowledge you have to them when you could, I mean, what led you to do that? I mean, cause you could have easily, you know, used that time to further your business or do videos for someone else, like, you know, pick up other jobs, but you're working with these young people, sixth through 12th grade. Um, a group of your students just won the award, went to the white house, um, teaching them how to, do what you do, video journalism, you know, inspiring them and kind of training the next generation, which is an amazing thing. What led you to that? Well, you know, I was walking around my neighborhood. I was still at ABC. And I was thinking about how beneficial um, and, and what a privilege it was to work at a place like ABC uh, and to teach at a place like Columbia Graduate School of Journalism. And I was thinking about, you know, the what was going on in these places. Uh, and I was looking at the people in my community. I live in uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. And I was looking around and I was saying, well, gee, you know, the young people in this community aren't creating media like the people at ABC, like the graduate journalism students at Columbia. The people in my community are just consuming media. And wouldn't it be great if they had the ability, if they had the skill set to create media? I said, well, I'd like to teach them. So I, I really set out to teach them pretty much the same skills that I teach graduate students at Columbia Journalism School how to tell a story, how to edit, how to research, how to report, how to write, uh, how to shoot a camera, how to light it, how to mic it. Um, And so I pretty much 
set out to teach them those same skills. Obviously, there are some limitations when you deal with high school students. And if you deal with junior high school students, there's obviously some more limitations. They can't come and go uh, as they please. They have to have parental supervision. Um, there's a limited amount of time that they can put into it. Whereas graduate students, I mean, they are, you know, they, they sign on for, I mean, you can, they, they work around the clock. Right. They put uh, the money and time into it. So it's, they have that, they have more freedom, if you will. They have much more freedom. So obviously I had to scale back some things, but it, essentially I set out to teach the same skills that I teach at Columbia. And we started having some interesting results. I mean, the, the first, uh, while working at Harlem Renaissance High School, we got some really wonderful stories told. And uh, it was a high school that that's called a uh, transfer school. And it's usually for kids who have been having having trouble in their in normal high school. Mm-hmm. So they've been you know, usually put out of those uh, normal high schools and are sent to this one and uh, these transfer schools. And these are uh, schools where they have a small uh, teacher-to-student ratio and they're, you know, they have a lot of resources uh, that they pour into the students. Uh, but the students have a lot of issues that they're confronted. I mean, poverty issues. They have um, sometimes they're living in abusive environments. So they have a lot of issues. But I noticed that once they start working on these video journalism stories, that a paradigm shifts. And the teachers notice it as well, that they looked at themselves differently. They looked at the world differently. And I said, wow, you know, what a, what a, what a great tool. Uh, and then when I did my standalone program, the digital media training program, uh, I noticed that the same thing happened. And you mentioned the White House Student Film Festival. I didn't mention to you that the first year we actually won an honorable mention, the first entry at the first annual White House Student Film Festival, we won an honorable mention. And I told the kids, next year we're going to win it. And they looked at me and they said, oh, I don't know. They didn't believe you? I said, no, no, no. They didn't believe me. I said, listen, we're going to win it. I'm, I want to tell you how we're going to do this. I said, first, you have to visualize. You have to visualize where you want to be, what you want to accomplish. You have to visualize your goal. So I had them all close their eyes and visualize themselves in the White House, in the ceremony, with Barack Obama presiding. Close your eyes, see yourself in the White House. And, of course, I had to also have them visualize doing the work, Uh, the the reporting, the interviewing, the writing. Right, you just don't end up at the White House. Right. But I think, you know, the the first hurdle is seeing yourself at, at at, at the end, seeing yourself having achieved the goal. Because as soon as I said that, they were they were like, "Oh no, that'll never happen." We can't. But you have to get over that and actually visualize yourself where you want to be. But you can't stop there. Obviously, you really have to visualize yourself doing the work. You know, incrementally 
moving in the direction that leads you to your goal. Uh, if it's training that you need, you need to visualize yourself doing the training. If it's, you know, some incremental steps that you have to take, you have to see yourself doing the incremental steps. Uh, but it's usually, I mean, people are usually their worst enemies, and they, they set up all kinds of roadblocks and obstacles uh, that keep them from achieving their goals. And um, the visualization is a technique that just just obliterates that obstacle. It's a very I actually, powerful thing. Oh, it is, it is the, you know, when I tell someone, I say, you know, do you want to know the secret to my success? The secret to my success is the ability to visualize goals and to visualize the steps to achieve those goals as well. But really, because because I've been able to recreate myself, reinvent myself at many junctures in my life. And the key to all of that is, is the visualization piece. And I, I learned that uh, while in college, um, there was a guy who was uh, teaching a technique called Silva Mind Control, S-I-L-V-A. And he taught me one of their techniques called Mirror of the Mind. And it's essentially you looking at a movie screen that's blank and the movie is your life and you're visualizing in great detail the goal that you want to achieve, visualizing yourself in that goal. And so I use that periodically uh, in my life and I teach that technique to students whenever I get a group of students. Uh, I tell them, I said, hey, I'm going to let you in on a secret, the secret to my success. And it's the ability to visualize. And I teach them that the mirror of the mind technique. Very, very powerful. Very much so. And then have you noticed a ripple effect with working with these kids, especially the second year? Do they, are they more confident in their abilities to, to well, work? They are more confident because um, it, it takes a, a, a lot of, um, chutzpah to get in front of a camera and speak or to get in front of a microphone and speak. So initially, you know, there's trepidation and nervousness, laughing, but eventually confidence starts to build and, um, you know, I mean, look, the, the group of students that I just finished uh, working with, uh, we've worked from February to uh, where we're working last week. And initially, they were very doubtful about their ability to uh, create stories um, and to tell stories. And we have some very strong stories, and I've just been told that um, the local PBS station here in New York uh, wants to broadcast them. So I just found that out today. And they want uh, 
want me to come in with uh, a student and talk about the first story. That's amazing. So Congratulations. Only, well, thank you. So not only will the story that they worked on be broadcast, but they'll get to go in the studio and be on camera uh, and talk about their experience. So those kind of things uh, have a tendency to build, build confidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's very exciting to see that this program that you are working with, the kids are growing and experiencing new things and how it's just building it one upon each other, one by one. And I, for one, also am looking forward to seeing what they do. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the future and the new documentaries documentaries that you're working on. You have one currently that you're working on, um, on Dr. Hugh Morgan Hill. And it's called Remember yes. Brother Blue, the Storyteller? Yes, indeed. I, he's a gentleman that I met. Um, believe it or not, I was, I was at a, a, a yoga retreat. Um, and he was uh, telling stories. And we met and became friends. Uh, this was in 1975, 76. And I started filming him, uh, interviewing him back then. I knew he was a very special person, and uh, he really contributed uh, greatly to the art of storytelling in America. I mean, he really had a profound effect on storytellers around the country and around the world. When can we expect uh, the document? I'm I'm curious. I'm excited to see it. Well, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. It's one of those pet projects that you work on every now and then. There is no budget, uh, and there there you know, unfortunately, is, is no timetable. But you know, I'm actually getting closer to the end with that. So I hope to finish that uh, soon. A true passion passion project, huh? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> a passion project with uh, without a budget. Well. Uh, as as many find, a lot of passion projects kind of go that way. But I, I'm sure we'll see much more from you in the future, including that documentary. And guys, we'll we'll keep you up to date, and we know when it comes out. But Mr. McCray, before we wrap up, one thing I have to ask, and I ask everyone, is as an expert for who has chased their dreams and is still chasing your dream, what is something that you would recommend to someone else who wants to chase a dream or may not be could be anything book quote someone to follow something to do what would you recommend i would recommend that they visualize their dream that they go through a process they sit in an upright chair close their eyes and visualize what it is they want to achieve. They want to be a doctor, lawyer, um, writer, see themselves in that position, see themselves writing, seeing themselves being a doctor, uh, seeing themselves being um, recognized by their peers for the outstanding work, for their excellent uh, craft, um, and see themselves doing the work necessary to achieve that, and whenever they think about what they want to do, see themselves in it, see themselves already having achieved it. I think that ability to visualize your dreams is, is really the key. It is the key that unlocks 
whatever it is you want to be, that is the key. Great advice. And I hope you guys will take that to heart. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you could do that at any point in your life, right? At any point. I, I Listen, I'm doing it now. I'm, I'm doing it now. Um, I, as I mentioned, the ability to recreate myself is based on the ability to visualize. I mean, even when I retired from ABC, I said, okay, what is it? that I feel passionate about. What is it I want to do? So, yes, it could be do it, it it could be done after retirement, after college, after high school, at any time in your life, you can recreate yourself. Well, there you go, guys. Mr. Craig, thank you so much for coming on the show, especially uh in between things, uh taking the time in your car to to talk to us. Very much appreciated. My pleasure. Good luck with your show and good luck to all of those people out there chasing their dreams. And that was Mr. Melvin McRae. Guys, wasn't I right? He is talented. He is humble. He is giving. He is fantastic. And he is chasing his dream every day, every minute, almost. I mean, I think you could almost, that might be a fair assessment given how busy he is and he is living life to the utmost. And I hope you guys will do the very same thing. In fact, take his advice and do it today. Picture yourself, visualize yourself at the end of your dream chase. Where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be? What does that look like? Close your eyes, think about it, and hold it in your mind. And then picture yourself, visualize yourself doing the dream chase. Each step, like he suggested. And you might be surprised what happens when you do that, okay? So do that. Take a look at the show notes page for this episode over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com slash episode 48. That's episode 48 for all the show notes and links that were mentioned on the show as well as some supplied by Mr. McCray to share with you that you might be interested in, including some YouTube videos of the work that has been done and definitely something worth checking out. So you guys go ahead, do that, visualize, and then go out and chase your dreams. Okay. Until the next episode where we will talk episode 49, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to chasing dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.